0: It's about more than just research, it's about community, too, What's right? new in the community? What's going on this weekend? The last time we met, we Have talked to... Well, last time, I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new... Miguel, what's new in the community? Have
1: you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of
0: all, for the people who contact us on Twitter...
1: about a certain research...
0: Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk. To, if you talk to the people from the board.
1: Why did the yogurt go to the
0: art museum? Welcome to another episode of the Community Ultra. Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez, and today I'm here with Dr. Jocelyn art Lebo. Did I say it right, doctor? You did. Where's the R stands
1: for? <laughs> it's Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca!
0: <laughs> and how the people used to call you? In oh. college or oh, man. friends, family members.
1: <laughs> Mostly just Jocelyn. I wish I had a nickname that was interesting. Becky, no? No, no, no. no.
0: Okay. Doctor, you're, are you from Minneapolis originally or Minnesota?
1: I am. I, I grew up in, in the Twin Cities. Twin Cities. Yeah.
0: I was fortunate to be at your talk this past uh, Thursday where you presented. Yeah. And uh, I, I was... Happy to see the family members came. Yes. Your grandpa was present. Yeah, yeah,
1: that so
0: was fun. So that show—I mean—that gave me a clue that you have roots here in, in Minnesota.
1: Yes. yeah. We. Um. My mom grew up in Rochester, and and oh. then the minute that she turned eighteen, she moved away, and and then when I started working at Mayo, she's like, "Is this a rebellion? What are you doing?" But I I love it here. I love I love Minnesota in general, and and yeah. The mayor. So, for.
0: Today we're going to be talking about uh, a topic that you present about uh, eating disorders and how how eating disorders uh, there are so many Yes. and, and there is a stigma yes. among people who is dealing with with uh, with the eating disorder and and sometimes what about uh, um. What has been your experience with the caregivers, people, family members, especially when you're yes. dealing with a a younger a son or?
1: Yeah, so and that's I think that's a really good uh, thing to talk about. You know, I work I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist, and so I work with a lot of families um, with with teenagers or kids with eating disorders. And I, I think eating disorders are incredibly dangerous, and they're diseases. They're not a choice, and and um, However, I think that a lot of times people think of them as either the patient's fault or the family's fault, and so I think when you have a kid with an eating disorder, um, it, you can get a lot of a lot of judgment from other people or people thinking, "Oh, it must have been because you did something wrong with parenting," and it can be just incredibly difficult, you know. And, and the treatment for eating disorders is really hard. It's family based. We we pull on parents' strength a lot, and. Um, we ask a lot of them, and I think it can feel really isolating um, in a way that other illnesses don't. You know, if your if your kid has a life threatening medical illness like cancer, you know, God forbid, it's awful, it's terrible, it's so hard on a family. But you do get a lot of community support. Whereas if your kid has an eating disorder, um, which has a one in five rate of of a mortality rate um, associated with it. Really um, high. Yeah, really high. You know, I, people, I think, tend to think, well, what did you do wrong, or, or this must be your fault, or, you know, your kid is spoiled, or, you know, something like that.
0: So. Mm-hmm. And so it com- can be considered a mental health yeah. issue, or, or how how do you guys,
1: Yeah, you did,
0: know, somebody who's new to this topic, how yes. will you... Put it in disorder.
1: I think it's under a good. Which. It's a good. It's a good question because you know. So eating disorders—they're in the DSM, which is the manual we use for psychiatric disorders. Um, they're considered a, a psychological disease. However, unlike a lot of other ones, they affect every single organ system in the body, and, and they're related to major changes, structural and functional, in the brain. So, you know, one of my old mentors used to say, and I think this is dead on, that eating disorders are medical disorders with psychological features, um, and I think that's important to know. They're, they're an illness.
0: Yeah, and, and all, other thing that I learned on your talk was also the eating disorders... Um, Sometimes, what you see in the media is mostly younger people, but it's also yeah. different ages, mm-hmm. different ethnicities mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. can be affected absolutely. and and seniors and
1: yes absolutely, they they they're equal opportunity you know males and um racial and ethnic minorities, people of all ages, including you know senior citizens um I think we're getting more and more of an understanding that that this isn't just a young wealthy, Caucasian female disorder, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: And so let's start a little bit with um, some of the, you mentioned the, something that would trigger um, for a parent to know, for somebody, for a loved one. What would be some of the characteristics of somebody who's dealing with... uh,
1: With an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Things for parents to look out for. You know, some, um, the main thing is, is... Weight loss or failure to failure to make what you'd expect to be weight gain in in kids. So kids weren't growing the way they're supposed to. Um, It's not. um, I think the thing where people get confused. You don't have to be physically, um, visibly emaciated. You don't have to be in the third percentile for BMI. You can be above the 50th percentile for BMI. But if you've dropped off your curve, what is the BMI? What is BMI? Mm -hmm. Oh man. Um, So BMI is this. Not, body
0: mass index?
1: body mass index is a not great statistic we use because we don't have anything yeah. else um, uh, that takes into account weight, weight and height and for kids what's important is they keep tracking sort of on the same curve their whole childhood so if they fall off of that it doesn't matter where they are it's a real problem other signs are, are changes to eating habits skipping meals you know a lot of kids it starts adults too it starts with trying to be healthy but um, it slowly gets it, it slowly creeps to sort of an extreme. It's it's not normal for kids to not eat snacks. It's not normal to not ever have junk food really rigid patterns of you know, it's birthday but I don't want any cake or you know things things like that are I would be very concerned about. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Also you mentioned I mean for me what's new also the there is different categories of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you mention some of those? Yeah.
1: So there's anorexia and bulimia, which are the two that people really, I think, know the most about. Anorexia is is low weight, dietary restriction, Um, and bulimia is is binge eating. Um, So eating large amounts of food with that loss of control, followed by purging, or usually that's induced vomiting or using laxatives. Th- those have been categories for a long time, and I think when people, they're, they're sort of... Do
0: bulimics also gain weight, or they don't gain weight?
1: So it's interesting. I don't think that you can tell if someone has any type of eating disorder by looking at them. Bul- people with bulimia can gain weight. They can lose weight. They can maintain their weight. Um, it, it's really difficult to detect because of that reason. Mm. Um the other, so their
0: bodies start suffering. The,
1: their bodies absolutely suffer, and, and they, can, they can have really serious health consequences even if their weight stays the same. They can, you know, in, to the extent of having seizures and dying. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones I think that people, you know, those are the ones in the made-for-TV movies or whatever that people okay. know about. Um, the other category is there's, there's something called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, or ARFID. This mm-hmm. is a newer diagnosis. Um and these are kids a lot of times they are kids who have always been really picky, but they're kids who who can't maintain a healthy weight and have health consequences um but don't have weight or shape concerns so it's not at all about wanting to be thin it's 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 usually they're really picky, like only a few foods that they will eat or they have a lot of anxiety about eating or the, but they regardless they can't maintain a healthy body size and and so that's a that's another type
0: okay and what about have you seen in your in your clinical work kids, uh, probably they have some food and then they have a bad experience with yes. that food. Yes. And then after that experience, they don't want to eat. Does that affect someone?
1: Sometimes, yeah. And so what's normal, I'll tell you what's normal, is if somebody mm-hmm. eats, a t- eats a specific food um, and throws up or gets really sick right after. So I, I have a friend who ate chicken pot pie had a horrible stomach flu right after and cannot stand the sight, smell, or taste of chicken pot pie. That is normal. That's an aversive reaction, but it's very specific and very limited. Um, there are other kids who have had a bad experience. Either they choke on some food mm. or they, they get really nervous about throwing up and they don't want to eat anything. That's more of an ARFID type thing. It's almost like a phobia, and it's and it's really, it's much more general. It's I, I won't eat anything at school because what if i throw up yeah. or what
0: about when anxiety with now mm-hmm. kids being test doing tests my daughter's is going right now yeah. the past three days doing this super long tests. oh
1: gosh yes yeah there's so many of them yes that because when you get anxious right you get stomach aches a lot of times it's just the way the body our bodies respond to anxiety you don't want to eat so we have a ton of kids who we say that they kind of backed into an eating disorder it's it didn't start that way. It started because of anxiety or depression or, you know, having something going on in their life that affected their appetite. But once you lose enough weight, the eating disorder kind of takes over. So, so again, even if it came out of something else, once you have an eating disorder, that's really kind of the primary.
0: Okay. Also, you mentioned about um, a term that I wasn't familiar familiar with. You mentioned anorexia, nervosa. hmm How's that... Um, How does that represent? I mean, how affects somebody? Anorexia. Oh, that's that's the term. Oh, yes,
1: yep. The full name is anorexia nervosa.
0: Okay.
1: Um. The but we call it anorexia for short, which probably is not technically correct.
0: Okay, so that's the the (laughs) scientific name.
1: Yes. And then and then once you go,
0: once you have a eating disorder. and the lack of eating. How does that affect your the brain chemistry?
1: Oh, man. So um, there's a ton of research being done into the specifics, and I it's, ooh, it's above my pay grade, so I won't go into too much yeah. detail. But just basically, when you're underweight, if we look at your brain on a scan, if we look at an fMRI, it looks different than your brain when you're a healthy weight. You know, you, things, structures change. The way that your brain responds to things changes. Even
0: if at one point you have a healthy weight? Yes. You start...
1: Yes, it, 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 and that's why we know that this is not a choice and why we know that this is so, so difficult to treat. Um, we know that people with it, and and the thing that's tricky is it's hard to know what was there before and what was there after, but people with anorexia have less, um, they feel less rewarded by food. They have a, their, their brain just, the reward oh, centers light up differently. Um, a lot of this resolves when you gain the weight back. You know, I'll talk to my patients that you're temporarily brain damaged, and it's true. They can function really, really well in school, and they can. You know, it's it's not like that. They still get a lot of them get really good grades and do really well. But when it comes to food, they truly will starve themselves to death. They truly think that they're eating a lot when they're not. They truly think that their body looks much different than it does. So their
0: appearance—that was something that was on your also in your presentation there. The body image is disturbed to yes. they see themselves different.
1: Yes, yes. And they did a study with anorexic patients where they took one of those big sheets of paper and had them trace that line of their body and, and had them draw how big do you think your body actually is. And what they drew was on average three sizes bigger than what their body actually was. Um, th- truly, when, when people with anorexia look in the mirror, th- what they see is not what the rest of the world sees.
0: And in your clinical work, when you see patients... Um, What is the first step that you guys take as a team with parents and caregivers?
1: You know, I think the most important thing, the thing that I like to do first, two things. Um, One is make sure everybody knows how serious this is and how dangerous and and how this isn't a choice and that this is something that we need to intervene right away because we know the quicker you... The the earlier the intervention, the better the outcome. Um, The second thing is to make it really clear to parents that it's not their fault. That this is not something that they did to their kid, um, that to make it clear to the kid that this is not something they're choosing to do, because I think everybody comes in with a lot of guilt, and so it's balancing that that this is serious. We need to do something. It wasn't your fault, but but you you have the the power to kind of change it. Parents have the power to help their kids get better. Kids, um, it's going to be miserable, but we're going to get you through this.
0: Mm-hmm. With the with the technology these mm-hmm. days, social media, kids. Gets- and everybody being more connected, have you seen any increase of uh, more peer pressure? And and how does that affect, in this case, this feel?
1: Man, you know, I think we're still studying this. I think there's definitely an impact. I think that, you know, when you see people posting shots of pictures of their thigh gap or their abs, you can't, you know eating of start with a whole lot of unhealthy comparison with other people. And this just allows you to compare yourself. Social media allows you to compare yourself with way more people. Plus it's not like people are posting real snapshots of their life. They're posting the best possible things. They're posting really edited. yeah, edited, curated, you know? And so it just gets this even bigger skew on what you should look like. And so I think that's really hard. There's also a lot of websites about how to be anorexic. You know, these pro sites are big. Um, and those are really, really dangerous, yeah, so um yeah, I think we're st- we're still figuring out I think the impact, but it's um it's definitely a big factor
0: and are you familiar with any i saw remember you you presented a, a Minnesota study yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that study that happened in the, was in the 50s? Yeah. Right okay. after World War II, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So this is up at the U. It's called the Minnesota Starvation Study by Ansel Keys and a bunch of colleagues. Um, and we, in any sort of research, we love to talk about this study because it really helped shape how we think about anorexia. Basically, and I'll, I'll try to sum it up quick because I could nerd out about this for a long go, time go for it but I, um, so basically these were people uh, th- this was a study looking to see what happened to to the body when you when under starvation and under refeeding and this was not meant to be an eating disorder study this was meant to study um to prepare for all the refugees coming from world war ii and how what what they they were going to need and what would oh, okay um, so they took a bunch of healthy male volunteers so these were college students they had to be physically and psychologically completely healthy to be in the study. Um, they no no psych issues, no history of anything and they they um cut their calories by half um and it was still something like fifteen hundred calories oh yeah, well, yeah. fifteen hundred and
0: seventy calories per day yes,
1: yes yeah, so, a so lot what would higher.
0: that look like in a meal
1: man, you know. <laughs> It, it depends on the meal, but it... I, I guess th- if
0: you go, let's say, a fast food place, you get a combo. Yes. Can you get those? Many oh, colors? for sure,
1: for sure, for sure. You know, it, it's
0: soda, fries, and burger.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, so fifteen seventy a day is not, it's not enough. Um, but you know, I have anorexic patients with anorexia coming into my office who are eating eight hundred calories a day. Right, they're eating much, much less than that. Um, and so these kids these these guys lost a bunch of their body weight and, and they really were tracking a ton of things and What happened was something that they didn't expect um, physically and mentally these men began to change substantially, so they started having a ton of issues with feeling cold all the time with thinning hair with low energy, with problems with concentration um they became a lot of them became very depressed they lost interest in a lot of things that they used to care about um And these were guys who, they they signed up for the study because they were conscientious objectors to the war. So these were guys who had very strong political beliefs. They were very passionate, stopped caring about that. Um, Their eating behaviors got very odd. They started having weird food rituals, cutting their food into tiny pieces, being really interested in food, reading cookbooks and and things like that, but sometimes not eating their entire meal. Um, It got to the point where... Uh, a few of the participants tried to kill themselves to get out of the study. One of them tried to cut his finger off to get out of the study. They, they started to behave extremely psychiatrically compromised and, and what we learned from this is that you know these were not men who had who started out trying to lose weight for any reason. It was part of the study. but we learned that if you if you lose enough weight, anybody can kind of flip into that anorexic mindset. You can back your way into an eating disorder it it doesn 't matter if you lost the weight because of Medication doesn't matter because of anxiety. After a certain point, your brain starts functioning differently. Um, and it can look extremely severe. Your eating behaviors change. Your health changes. Um, and your mood and anxiety can change extreme, like su- substantially. What we found also is when these men started to get refed, all of these symptoms resolved. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so really that food was the medicine and that though... It would be understandable to be like, well, we have to get them therapy. We have to do the stuff to treat the depression first. Really, when a patient is underweight, the thing that they need first is is weight restoration.
0: And and so in these cases, like you mentioned, they were healthy. What about uh, people whose uh, substance abuse? Mm. Did they get into also no eating food?
1: So... <laughs> uh,
0: plus on top, the
1: yeah.
0: opioids or you name it, the type of drug...
1: It's a really complicated area because obviously being at risk for one disorder puts you at risk for multiple disorders. You know, and, and a lot of times people's weight changes because of substance use. Um, so I think you can back your way into an eating disorder then. I also think that while so some people talk about eating disorders as if they're an addiction, and I don't know that that's entirely true, but I do think there's some similarities in the types of things that put you at risk for both. Um, a substance abuse or an eating disorder. So things like having a history of trauma, things like being extremely emotionally sensitive and having problems handling strong emotion, um, all those things are risk factors and can definitely put you at risk for both
0: when in your case, when you treat patients with eating disorders is mostly the people who uh, restrict themselves from eating, either bulimic or anorexia, or you see also people who overeat? So,
1: so uh, you know, what I treat is something called binge eating disorder, which is okay. the binge eating piece of bulimia without the purging. And so I, I treat those patients as well. Um, obesity and, and overeating are, are a different sort of thing. You know, there is some evidence that there are shared risk factors. Things like dieting, for example, are the strongest risk factor for both. Um, but it, it is a different a, a sort of a different approach um particularly because you don't see the brain changes in somebody who just has um who who just has a higher b m i
0: but they have other conditions high risk sometimes. for... sometimes yeah yeah rise either for cardiovascular disease or
1: sometimes yeah put them
0: at risk for something else mm-hmm. so how how is minnesota related to other states on how are we uh, compare
1: on eating to, disorders?
0: Yeah, Ooh. is there a grade for the whole country or how? Oh, and I mean, meaning the the sometimes people get the winter blues, yeah. depression for these long winter yep. months. Yep, how does that?
1: That's an interesting question, you know. Because,
0: I mean, I know there is people who suffer depression during those months. The
1: seasonal, yeah, absolutely. Not being
0: exposed to the sun or, you name know, insulation.
1: Absolutely. Well. That is interesting. You know, I am not, I don't know that we have good data on that, and I don't know that I have a good sense of it either just for my practice. I agree with you that definitely winter is a busy time for psychologists because of all the mood stuff that oh, tends to come out. Oh, yeah. Um, eating disorders, I don't know. I, one of the issues with eating disorders is we don't have good stats on how many people have them. We, You know, there's been some oh. surveys, but we really don't have a good, we don't have good prevalence studies. So I don't know. We, we can't break it down like we can for depression or anxiety or some of these places with more, these disorders with more data. Um, but, are, are you
0: aware of campaigns that are going on in colleges or high school schools? At what age Younger kids can start with a eating disorder.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Do you see
0: all kind, all ages? All
1: ages. Yeah. You know, our fit can be really little kids. I would say with anorexia, um, bulimia tends to be older kids. Same with binge eating disorder. Um, anorexia, I've seen kids as little as seven or eight. Um, it's not as common, obviously. You know, most common is sort of that adolescent age. But yeah, and and like I said, up through there's a there's a growing field called geriatric eating disorders, so so senior citizens
0: what does the geriatric uh, what do they cover the geriatric group?
1: you or know it's a newer area. I think it's really just it's changing the way we think about it. I think a lot of people used to look at senior citizens who were. Um, failure to thrive, or this sort of wasting that comes with with old age, and think, oh, that's just what happens. That's just part of it, you know, or oh, they're a little depressed, or oh, they've got some medical things that make it difficult for them to eat, or they're on a a diet that that's not as palatable. I think that there's a growing understanding that no, in fact, that this was masking quite a few eating disorders, quite a few um, cases of anorexia that that people were not aware of, and so that's kind of a growing field.
0: Mm. Yeah. What about the? Um, I'm looking here at the notes. Uh, for the Minnesota today, is there is a good um, support for uh, for somebody who's who's going through this? A network of resources yeah. or where people can get help? One eight hundred number, something like that.
1: Yeah. So the answer is complicated. So I would say it's good news, bad news situation. The good news is. Of uh, Minneapolis, in particular, has quite a few resources for eating disorders, and we're lucky. However, overall, there, it, finding treatment for eating disorders, especially evidence-based treatment for eating disorders, is some of the hardest treatment to access of any mental health concern. There's a severe shortage of providers. So while we have more in uh, the state than I think a lot of states, for mm-hmm. you know, some states, if you look at the the registries of evidence based providers, some states have none. Um, so we're lucky, but it's still nowhere near enough. And 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 again, the closest thing in Rochester, you know, Mayo shut down their eating disorder program a bunch of years ago. Um, the closest comprehensive program is up in the cities. Um, if you get further out in the in the health system, or you know, that sometimes means asking people to drive hours to yeah. get the health their kids need. So. Um, We're better off in some places, but it's not good. You
0: mentioned to me also that, unfortunately, when you get to see your patients, they're already way too advanced. And that you would like to see them Mm -hmm. early. But that early detection, Mm -hmm. that's the hard part.
1: I agree. I, I think that that's what we need to think about. Because these disorders are so serious and because they're so hard to treat once they get really entrenched, Raising awareness, um, you know people are doing work with prevention in schools and as organizations and we've done some work in primary care um, we need more of that I think that 's what we need to do. What
0: about sports Do that trigger sometimes a lot of the uh, it can some of these eating disorders
1: yeah and I think it can mask it because you know and it really eating disorder sort of sneak up on everybody including the person who suffers from them they start it starts small and a lot of times it is I want to be in shape for sports or it 's cross country and i 'm going to get healthy. Um, and I, I know a lot, lot of
0: wrestlers, yes. people who do un- wrestling, oh. they're trying to stay in what category, and yes. they go through so much Oh, my
1: gosh. And, and the things starvation. that they do to the cut weight, oh, yes. Um, yes, that's one of the more sort of egregious examples of, you know, like working out in like a duct tape suit and sweating off 20 pounds. It's so dangerous. Um, but I see a lot of, you know... It's hard because there's kids in all these sports who don't have eating disorders, so we can't blame the sport entirely, but mm-hmm. there're definitely ones sports that focus more on your weight and more on um, achieving a certain weight or a certain physique are definitely going to put kids at more risk. Same thing with activities. Um, like, for example, dance is difficult because for a lot of the time, you're standing in front of a mirror for two hours at a time, you know, in, in, in tight clothes with other people. I think that if you already have risk factors, Mm -hmm. it can put you at more risk. Um, That's not to say that we should pull all our kids out of dance class or anything like that. And are you
0: familiar if uh, these kind of campaigns or messages go through the schools?
1: I think they do.
0: Or, you know, have those conversations at least?
1: Some places, you know, there are some campaigns that are trying to. I think we have a ways to go with this. Because I also think that people think they know what eating disorders are but don't really know. You know, they they picture that stereotype. and, And I think we miss a lot of kids because of that.
0: And going to the... To the, trying to go to the route of the cause. Or, or, you know, when we're eating food, what about with today's uh, diet? Mm-hmm. There is a lot of uh, processed food. Mm-hmm. Would that have to do something also? Not having that much home-cooked meals? Or, or how does that affect our brain?
1: Man, you know, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I do know that um, the big thing for eating disorders is, is no food is inherently bad. There's no food that is, is, should be labeled good or bad, outside of, obviously, if you have a diagnosed medical allergy. Um, avoiding food and not getting that balance is problematic. Um, I also know that there's good research that having family dinners is really protective, not just for eating disorders, but for everything else. However, that doesn't mean you have to cook. You could have a bucket of chicken, yeah. and it still has the same effects. Um, and I say this as someone who's a really bad cook. So, um, But, I, yeah, I'm not sure we know.
0: Okay. What about when somebody starting a diet and they mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm not going to eat meat yeah. no more?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. say, oh, I'm going I'm, I'm to be a uh, vegetarian. And I love my vegetarian friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pick nobody. <laughs> but but you start having not enough nutrients in yes. your system. How does that affect
1: so it's Someone. it's a problem. Oh, you start
0: with something and then you start.
1: <laughs> yes, because it, it tends to be dependency. a slippery slope. Yeah, you know, it depends. Okay, so people who are vegetarian for animal rights reasons, who have, you know, or for religious reasons, um, who get balance, right, who eat a ton of other, who get good protein, who get good food with fat, um, that is legit. Um, for, for people, but for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's a slippery slope. And for people who are dieting or, or making these changes for weight loss, mm-hmm. diets don't work. 95% of diets fail. And honestly, probably the other 5% are have eating disorders. Um, that Don't quote me on that last bit. That, I made that up. Um, <laughs> but but, it, but the, the 95% part, that part's real. Um, diets don't work. They set you up to fail. It is People lose weight in the short term, and then in the long term, they gain weight plus more because their metabolism slows. So it really does set people up to feel horrible about themselves, which is a risk factor for eating disorders. And dieting, the behaviors themselves, they are the number one predictor of both obesity and eating disorders. They are just It's just not healthy. And again, dieting means anything from Weight Watchers to going gluten-free to, to doing any sort of restriction. Again, that's not medically necessary. It, it just puts you at risk. I can't say enough about... I think we tolerate it as normal, or or we think, oh, it's just a phase, or everybody does it, but it is such a problem in our society.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's more of doing healthy lifestyle Mm -hmm. changes. Mm
1: -hmm. And not having anything forbidden. The minute you say, I'm not, I'm never eating desserts again, like... You're all of a sudden you're in a deprivation mindset. You're thinking about cookies or cake or things like that all the time, and you're setting yourself up to not just eat one when you do, but eat twenty, right? You yeah. and, and then feel horrible about yourself, and compensate the next time by being extra good and cutting even more, and, yeah. and and just.
0: At the beginning of the year, yeah. I started drinking my coffee without creamer oh. and and sugar. Oh. And uh,
1: how'd that go for you?
0: I it, first it, it was hard, but now I, I like the taste of the coffee because okay. you, your taste buds. Yeah. But when I have cream and sugar, yeah. oh, that's a treat. <laughs> it is
1: good. And I think again, that's you know, making uh, making healthy changes. Nothing should get cut completely unless yeah. you know. Um, and I don't know. I just think we set ourselves up to feel really bad about ourselves for failing something that you can't win at, you yeah. know?
0: I did also the. I was. I put a goal to have at least one pop, one drink. Yes. Soda, whatever you name it in your state. Yeah. Uh, pop. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's a Minnesota thing. Sure
1: is. Yeah.
0: Um, once a month. Uh-huh. So we're in, what, April, and so far I have four sodas. Okay. So last year I was trying to, but by May I already was drinking December, <laughs> so I lost track. So, But so far I'm doing good.
1: It's so difficult. It's it so is. difficult. It is, especially
0: now that it's getting warmer.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, yeah. No. You the, go to a
0: meeting, you go to a gathering. It's all is, there. It's cheaper than water.
1: I know, I know, I know. And I, I mean... Yeah, I don't have any good strategies for you. I'm going to be honest, except that yeah. if you fall off the wagon, being kind to yourself and not beating yourself up, you know, that's the big thing. But I, I love Diet Coke. I can't. Help yeah. It. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's that's your choice. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so, what about people in your case? You commute. Yeah. Do you drink water, or what does it? What do you know that triggers you sometimes to eat or to? Overeat or over-drink. You're talking your about
1: what triggers me personally yeah, to overeat. Yeah, in
0: my case, I notice it now mm-hmm. Anxiety when if I have a deadline.
1: Yeah.
0: I just want to, I yeah. open the drawer of snacks and I'm not even looking.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Boredom, and, I think, a lot of the time. You know, it, like when you just got nothing to do. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think people eat a lot. I, I'm no different for emotional reasons, absolutely.
0: And how that conversation goes when you sit with your clients. Do you guys go over their meal plan or or what? How what is the first steps do you guys take when when you start
1: for an eating disorder? Yeah. Um. So so we talk about you know I'm lucky because I work with kids so really I've got their parents as these huge resources and so it's, okay so look, you sit all all the family th- yep. as a team. Yep. And then it's um we 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 weigh the kid first mm-hmm. and if their weight went up and I don't give a meal plan I don't do anything like that it's just you need a lot of calories and when you're underweight actually you need. A ton of calories because your body starts shutting down and so in order to fix everything it needs way more calories than the average teenager or person mm. so um we've talked a little bit about that if their weight has gone up it's just what have you been doing that's awesome if their weight has gone down or stays the same it's going through okay what it roughly what do you eat today what do you have your kid eat today where can we add more calories so it's not um It's not super technical, and it's not you know it's not prescribing. It's just food, because when you're underweight, your body's not using uh, nutrition. So all the things we know about balance and and none of that it all goes out the window when you're underweight. It's just about calories and fat. So um, vegetables are fine, but they're not going to be as helpful as milkshakes or mac and cheese or things like that. So um, so that's what we really talk about.
0: And what is the who else? comes to your team when you try to work with these patients, who else, which other departments interact?
1: Yeah. So in my practice, because I'm outpatient, I work a lot with um, primary care. So either pediatricians or um, family medicine doctors and making sure that the patient is medically stable and healthy and supported. um, I love that. I think it's such a great collaboration. Primary care providers are like the best people in the world. They really care about their patients. In other settings, um, in higher levels of care, you know psychiatry and nutri- dietetics, you know they, they have all sorts of combinations of people. But um, for outpatient, we found at least with kids, really you can you can do it with a psychologist and a um, some sort of medical provider.
0: And and in your practice and. Have you participated in research as a researcher? Yeah. What what kind of work have you have you done?
1: Oh man, um, oh, I'm going to try to not be boring. It's so hard um, when I talk about my research. <laughs> you know, my main area of interest is is kind of what we talked about is is getting kids identifying eating disorders earlier and 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 picking up on cases that are getting missed.
0: So those talking points you mentioned about the. Losing interest in their Mm -hmm. things that they like, Mm -hmm. No eating, Mm -hmm. becoming picky. What else do we mention?
1: Um, You know, I think uh, social isolation is a big one. Uh, You know, but but the thing that I've really looked at is these populations. So the one of the main areas I've looked at for this is kids who have a history. And my collaborators and I, Dr. Leslie Sim and a few other people, um, patients have a history of overweight or obesity. Um, I think people think, oh, they can't possibly have anorexia. And I think if they lose weight, people are for a while are kind of high-fiving them. But we've kind of looked at, these kids are really at risk. These kids are really at risk for restrictive eating disorders. So, so they start? They start out, over, you know, tracking high, 95th percentile, someplace where... Um, if you don't understand BMI, you might think that it's too high, even though a lot of these kids—that's where they've healthfully tracked their whole life—they drop, maybe not even to the 50th percentile, but they're extremely sick. Some of the sickest kids I've seen, and I think it takes but a lot longer. But the parents,
0: they still look overweight.
1: Yes, and 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 providers are like, well, you know, you're not—you're still not too low, or something. You but know, they're we,
0: not putting nothing on their body.
1: No, and and medically they have all the same symptoms, and they have all uh-huh. the same risk. And you know what we found is for kids without this history. It takes on average, and this is too long. It takes like ten to twelve months for someone to get identified from when their symptoms started to when they come in. It's about ten to twelve months um, for kids with an eating disorder with a history, sorry, with a history of overweight. It's about twenty months. It takes so, so their much body
0: already has been on their lot of
1: for so much for twice as long starvation. Yes, and and again, it's extremely dangerous. So we've looked at that. Um, the other thing that we've been doing is I've been working with primary care providers. Um, a bunch of pediatricians and, and nurse practitioners and, and people in family med to, to um, improve their detection, management, the, how they deal with these patients in their practice, and see if they can deliver some of the intervention because it's really hard to get eating disorder care. It's really, really hard. But everybody has... does
0: insurance cover that? How is that battle? It,
1: it can. It really. It depends on the insurance. It depends on the. You know. This is. It's a battle. And and treatment if you if you don't get treatment right away, sometimes you need treatment for years. And so getting the right level of coverage can be really hard. My thought is that if, if we can get a good model of care for primary care, patients in areas without specialists can get it can get identified earlier, can get some treatment earlier and maybe won't need that. That's my hope. Okay. I don't know, that's that's early days yet. But
0: so and then do you have any research that you want to start? Any future projects that you're <laughs>
1: You know, that's my big one right now for, is, is, is uh, my goal is to make sure that we can get more kids connected with treatment earlier. And I think that means okay. delivering it in a different way, early detection, early intervention, you know, um, instead of making families drive four hours to the treatment center once a week or something, I, I want to, I, we have good, we have good treatment. There's good evidence-based treatment, but we need to improve access. And, and to do that, I think we need to think outside the box. So about who's delivering it and how.
0: Okay. So. Wow. It's a lot of uh, good information that we shared today. <laughs> and uh I would like to have you again yeah. once we once you have your results for this work that you're I'd gonna be to. doing. Um uh, and like you said, probably making standards with the school. School nurses connect with those because they're already there yes. every day. They see the yes. the students and how how their health also is affected in general. Do they get more sick? Uh, their mm-hmm. their
1: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how you said their uh, immune system yes. is affected. Yes,
1: huh? everything because basically what's happening is your body doesn't have enough to run everything the right way, so it's shutting everything down to conserve energy to keep your heart beating. So immunity, um, your digestive system slows down. You, you, like I said, focus and concentration gets impaired. Mood gets impaired. Um, can have effects on your your. Um, reproductive system, and eventually cardiovascular complications. But it's, it's literally every organ system in the body.
0: So. I know. And, and then, you know, sometimes you get those news either on, on social media or, or the news feed, like so-and-so who was battling yeah. through through an eating disorder and then they lost that battle. Yes. It's so hard to live there. Yes. And uh, having all the resources been influential people, and they still go through those battles.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's it's.
0: And so it's not a choice. That that's a good. thing. I think
1: that's a, if 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 you can take home any nothing else from this, that's the sort of take home message that this, these are illnesses. They're not a choice. They're 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 illnesses.
0: Yeah, doctor. Thank you for sharing all the all your work and knowledge and and like I said, I hope you have you again. <laughs>
1: Thank you for reminding Question,
0: me. you been uh, from Minneapolis, being a social social uh, bike-friendly <laughs> uh, city, do you bike?
1: Uh-huh. Oh, man. I I took, I took a nasty fall from my bike in third grade, and since then, oh, I've just not been that not much of a biker. I hate to say it. I know. I know. It's embarrassing. And we've, Minneapolis is the best city for bikes, yeah. and I'm a waste. Well,
0: I'm going to give you uh, a... <laughs> uh, Second opportunity. Second. <laughs> We're going to have a bike swap on oh. May 11. So okay. you can buy, sell, or trade here in Rochester at the People's Co op, May 11 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can come, drop your bike uh, if you want to sell it, trade it, uh, and then come back around 2 and we'll let you know we sold it for you. So May 11 mm-hmm. May is a Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Come by by the People's Co-op, and uh, we'll get you in a new ride. Awesome. All right? Mm -hmm. So I want to thank everybody for following us on Twitter, on the Community Board, on Facebook, also on the Community Board. Find us on iTunes, on the Community Board Podcast, and also on SoundCloud. If you want to share something with the community, please get in contact with us, and uh, we'll get you here in the... (laughs) in, in yeah, front of the mic. All right, let's go for a ride, doctor. <laughs> all right. Have a good day. What's going on this Bye. weekend? The last time we
1: met, we Have talked a...
0: with... Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown.
1: What was the last movie you went to? Miguel what's, new... Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all,
0: for the people who contact us on Twitter. Thing? About a certain research... Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk, if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt
1: go to the art museum?
0: Did you see in the news? To get
1: more culture.